guys doing good tonight? We just, man, we've had a great day today, haven't we? It's good to be home. And uh, this has been a pretty crazy month for me. I was in Ecuador, I think, I think about a month ago, and then got back, and then I was in uh, England, and then flew from England to London, then flew home for three days, then drove to Turlock for, and was there for three days, then drove home yesterday, and came here for one day and then fly to Australia for eight days and home for four or five days and gone again. So it's a little busy. You know, it's kind of funny when you plan your life out a year ahead of time. It looks totally different than when you're in the middle of it. How many of you have ever noticed that? Like, how many of you have ever made a commitment? You're like, yeah, yeah, we'll do that next week. And the next week comes, you're like, what the heck was I thinking? I wrote that in my journal. What the heck was I thinking? So that's right. You can... You can pray for me. That would be good. We'll, we need that. So, but we've been having a good time, and we're seeing the Lord just move all over the place. And it's amazing. You know, we used to sing the song that the Spirit of God is moving all over the earth. And uh, I don't know if He was when we were singing it, but He certainly is now. <laughs> I'd never been all over the earth. I'd never been anywhere. I don't think I'd ever been out of California till I was thirty, and never been on a plane till I was like twenty-nine. So. Uh, I've seen lots of planes now. Live in hotel rooms. That's kind of nice. Yeah, I could give you a commentary on which hotels to stay in and which ones not stay in. And what seats to fly on. Yeah, I, I could tell you what, what, especially what seat to fly on out of Reading. I have my seat. I think Jen took my seat one, one time. It was really wrong. Evil. Yes. So, yeah, we're having a good time. But um, we... We were in Holland. There's just a real move of God in Holland. And um, there's a young man there. He's, he's, uh, his name is Matthias. And he, um, he is just a mover and a shaker. And God is just, I mean, they're just, God's not just filling up the churches. Young people are just coming to Jesus by the hundreds and by the thousands. It's just really, really exciting. And we you know, saw people healed and we saw a guy delivered, pretty dramatic deliverance. It was kind of cool because a bunch of their leaders had never seen anyone manifest before, in a, um, you know, demonically. And this guy, he threw about 15 people against the wall and started throwing chairs. And I'm like, wow, this seems like the early days of the renewal. <laughs> and so it was kind of funny, you know. A bunch of people got around him and started shouting. You know, that, it, you know, the demon's supposed to shout when it comes out, not you shout at the demon. So <laughs> misunderstanding there but it does create a lot of excitement doesn't get the demon out but sure ticks them off I'll tell you that so a bunch of people got around him and they were shouting the name of Jesus I'm like yeah that works good you know I know this because I was trained by the sons of Skiba sons of Skiba Institute see that I've had my ribs cracked and I had one lady I've told the story here a few times but we had a, a, a young gal here who, she got repossessed and she was in the back. They, six guys carried her out in the back in, in the, into the um, dining room. And so Bill goes, can you go help them with that, with her? And sure. So I, I go in there and I'm like, I'm trying to be like, I, I'm really cool. So I say, let her go. And they're like, oh, Pastor Chris, you don't want to let her go. I'm like, yeah, I said, let her go. They're like, no, no. I said, I said, I said let her go. Pastor Bill sent me here. I said, let her go. 
So as soon as they let her go, she sprung to her feet and she kicked me right here. And she bruised all my ribs. And, and, and she was getting ready to do it again. I'm like, hold her down! Hold her down! Turns out that she was the two-time women's world karate champion. And she was demonized, which was the two synergized with each other. And I did the same thing when we were in Round Mountain, uh, Nevada. And uh, just had gotten there about 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. Steve Backlund was pastoring the church at the time. And I just, we just had drove, like, I forget how many hours it is to Round Mountain. It's, it's a lot. Is it like nine hours or something? So we got there 11.30. We were exhausted. We get in bed, and, and uh, we're sleeping at Steve and, and Wendy Backlund's house. And Wendy wakes me up about 10 minutes into, into my sleep. I wasn't really all the way asleep. And she said, Steve needs you at this house. And it was snowing. So she walked us over to this house, or maybe she drove us. I don't remember. It wasn't far from their house. And we get over there, and this lady's completely naked. And they had wrapped her in a sheet, and uh, she was she'd run out in the took all of her clothes off and ran out in the snow naked. So I get there and I'm she, they they're all like four guys holding her down. I go, let her go. <laughs> I know you would think you'd learn. Anyway, that was another situation I won't finish, but we ended up like hold her down. So it was kind of fun. So we we had that happen in Hall, and it was kind of fun. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if they really got the guy free, but it was, it's just exciting to watch <laughs> God work and all that stuff. So, so we're having fun and, um, why don't we, we probably should pray. Should we pray? <laughs> if any of you are feeling violent, Eric will take care of it right over here. So, Holy Spirit, we just thank you for freedom. We thank you for freedom. Yes. Thank you for people that you're setting free and you're helping. Yes. Lord, thank you for setting me free. Yeah, I appreciate that. That was a process. <laughs> it probably continues to this day. Okay, okay, I'm confessing. So, um, Lord, we pray for the people who are watching by iBethel TV. You just, Lord, just get them. Just get them. Yeah, all these people say they watch by iBethel TV. So, Lord, we just pray that you would have no mercy on those people. Lord, just give them pressed down, shaken together, and running all over. Lord, if any of them are any any way, if they're in any kind of bondage, we just pray that you'd just set them free tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to John 15, and I want to talk to you about revelation that transforms nations. But I've, I've shared some of this before, actually. And the only reason I'm sharing it again is because I don't have anything else. Um, <laughs> no, nah, I feel like I'm supposed to do this. So um, we're going to start from verse 1. And we're going to read from verse 1 of John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean, or the word, the word there is pruned. You are already pruned because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. 
He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can't do anything. That's encouraging. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away and has a branch and dries up and he's gathered. And they gather them, cast them into the fire, and they are burned. We won't say anything to our neighbor about that. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Turn to your other neighbor and say, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit, so you prove to be my disciples. Just as my fathers loved me, and I also have loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that you may that you nah, start over. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. I want to stop there. We want to actually concentrate on the next few verses, but I want to stop and just make some comments. Um, he's talks he's talking there about the fact that when we produce fruit, that God prunes us. And so, and if we don't produce fruit, then he cuts us off. So, but you're going to get cut one way or another. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you've ever um, been in a vineyard. Any, how many of you have actually seen a vineyard like live? You've been in a vineyard. My uncle used to own a vineyard. And, um, you know, I was a teenager at the time, so I, I didn't pay a lot of attention. And then I heard someone probably a few years ago teach on vines and, and grapes and 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 vineyards, and I, I realized what was happening there. But you know, um, if you've ever walked through a vineyard, if the vineyard isn't pruned, the vines, like it'll grow a vine, and there'll be uh, the the branch will be uh, full of fruit, and then you'll notice that it'll have a long, it'll just look like piece, it'll look like wood. It turns to wood, and those things can be really long. And if you don't cut those back, what happens is is that the 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 vine t- uses all of its energy to produce, to extend itself, and it expends so much energy trying to extend itself, it can't bear fruit on the rest of the vine, so it just turns to wood. It's such a great example of our life. If we're overextended, we can't produce fruit. And God comes in and He prunes us back so that all of our energy can, be go, can go into producing fruit instead of overextending ourselves. And I don't know about you, but it's better to do one thing really well than do a whole bunch of things in a way that you bear no fruit. And I don't know if you've ever been extended, but I never have. But I've heard of people that have, have traveled too much and overextended themselves. So, the, so he's, there's, it's a great picture here, especially in the agricultural age where people were really close to this, this kind of thing. And they would understand what Jesus is talking about. That when we bear fruit, the Lord prunes us. And that pruning process doesn't always seem to be fun. But it's necessary. In fact, it says in Hebrews 12 that if you don't receive discipline, that you're a bastard or you're, um, you're, you're not a son. And so how many of you know that discipline is what separates sons from illegitimate children? I don't know if you got that. but In other words, the ability to receive discipline, the ability to see, receive discipline determines whether you get cut off or cut back. But everybody, everybody gets trimmed because it's, it, it's a sign that you're a son. Proverbs says, a fool does not receive discipline, but a wise man receives discipline and, and becomes wiser. I think this is really important because Jesus said 
um, he said, if, my, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Now, you have to understand that when Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, he's not talking about, the context isn't that you memorize the Bible. He's not saying, if you abide in me and you've memorized the Bible, you can ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. He's talking about the word. Remember, he said, you're already pruned because of the word. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. He's not saying, listen, if you memorize the Bible, then you can ask whatever you want. You certainly will know the will of God. You can ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. He's not saying that. The context is, is that you need to be pruned. You need to be disciplined. You need to be cleaned, if you will. You need to not be overextended. That's, we, need, we need that in our lives. And it's God's Word that prunes us back so we're not overextended and causes us to bear much fruit. He says, now listen, unless, you, unless you're pruned, unless you're pruned, you can't have any part of me. And then he goes on, next verse says, you're already pruned by the Word I spoke to you. Now if you abide in me and my Word abides in you, you can ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you by my Father who is in heaven. He's talking about the kind of word that brings discipline in our life, so that when we can receive discipline, God says, listen, if you listen to me, in fact, a couple more verses down, we're going to read it in a few minutes. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he said, if you keep my commandments, I call you my friends. The point is this, is that, and then he says, I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what his master is doing. And we're going to talk about those verses in a few minutes. But the way that we progress to friendship is that we're able to receive discipline and become a son, become a daughter. The ability to receive correction without being offended. See, there's a difference between getting corrected and receiving correction. There's a lot of people that think because think that they're receiving correction because people around them tell them about their, how their behavior is affecting them. But it's the ability to receive it. It's the ability to embrace it instead of talk yourself out of it that says, I'm a son, I can be pruned, and therefore, and God says, listen, if you listen to me, if you do what I say, if you keep my commandments... If I can tell you what to do and you do what I tell you, then you can tell me what you want and I'll do what you tell me. And Bill many years ago made this statement and I think it's become pretty famous. He said, in fact, I got credit for it on Facebook, but it's actually Bill's. He said, God wants to so renew your mind, He can do your will. That's awesome. I wish I would have thought of it. But it's true. So it's important... It's important that we learn how to embrace discipline in our life. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Get this, this is important. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Some people, like, they, they, they leave church and like, I've been hurt by the church. Maybe you were supposed to be. Faithful are the Wounds of a friend, deceitful are the kisses of the enemy. It's not, listen, it's not whether or not you've been hurt by other people, because if you're in relationship with people, you're going to get hurt. The question is, what do you do with your pain? See, the truth is, is that you can't be loved any deeper than you can be hurt. The depth that you allow someone to hurt you is the depth that you allow someone to love you. 
A lot of people get hurt and they're like, I'll never let anybody hurt me again. And what happens? They're starving for love. Because what happens is that you have to... See, in order to be loved, just think of it just simply like this. In order to be loved, you have to take off your armor. I mean, in order to feel love, you have to take your armor off. And what happens when you take your armor off? You're vulnerable. Like, into me you see. Intimacy. You have to... In order to be intimate with someone, and obviously uh, I'm not talking sexually in any, in any, any form of that word... But in order to be intimate with somebody, you have to take your armor off. There is a lot of people, in fact, um, I was sharing with some friends recently. There's a lot of people that they live in a, cellof- in a cellophane bag. You, you know what I mean. It's like there's, it's, it's hard to explain, but, it's, but we've all... We've all experienced some, this, but it's hard to explain. There are people that I have known for years, but I don't really know them. I, I mean, I know about them. I can tell you about some of their habits, as they can tell you about some of mine. But I never. But I, you, there's just something about you can only go so deep, and when you get a certain, when you get to a certain level of of intimacy with people. In fact, let's face it. We all we all have, we all have that. We all have that. We all have some people that are in our outer circle. It's it's interesting to me that Jesus, the way that Jesus kind of ran his ministry, if you if, so to speak. You know, Jesus had three disciples that he continually brought with him to most places. So he had 12, 70, he had three. And it's, it's when he, like when he was going to go raise a dead girl, he left nine outside and brought the same three in. When he goes to the Mount Transfiguration, he brings the same three with him. If, if you'll, you'll notice that about six times throughout the Gospels, he tells the nine to stay outside and brings the same three with them. He doesn't rotate them. He doesn't apologize for it either. I mean, you, you understand what I'm getting? It's like Jesus does have favorites. He loves us all the same, but he favors us differently. We live in a system that we think it's, everything should be fair. Jesus didn't have any problem saying these three guys... They get to be with me on special occasions, and you guys can't. I'm sure that's part of what created that who's the greatest kind of culture. Because how many of you know if you have 12 people with you all the time, and nine of them don't get to do special things, that that creates a level of competition. I'm not saying that Jesus was trying to create competition. I'm just saying that kind of thing creates competition. But it it is true that the depth... The depth that we will allow someone to hurt us is the depth that we can be loved. And some of you are starving for love. I just want to tell you that there's, there's people out there, you're absolutely starving for love. And you don't know why. And I can tell you that you know, this isn't the last word on being loved. But it definitely is one of the foundations of being loved is this. If, you, if, you, if someone hurt you and you said, I'll never let anyone hurt me again, you have cursed yourself. You have, you, have, you have put yourself in the cellophane bag. And you're wondering why everybody around you feels love. And you, 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 can be in, you can be around tons of people. They can hug you. They can say good things about you. But it's like water off a duck's back. Because if the day that you decide that you can't be hurt is the day you decide no one will love me deeply. And pruning is an act of love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Are you with me? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Listen, you don't have a friend 
If you don't have a friend that, that doesn't have permission to wound you, you don't have a friend. You have acquaintances. You have a lot of people you do social things with. But Proverbs, in fact, Proverbs says this, a, friend, a man who has too many friends comes to ruin. Why? Because he's talking about friends who can wound you, and you can only have so many of those. <laughs> That's probably the first thing I said that kind of relieved you. You're like, okay, I'm not letting everybody get to me. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's important that we have people in our life that, you know what I'm saying by wound you? I guess in our culture should be careful because, I mean, there's so much violence in our culture that is not, has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. And I, I need to be careful because, you know, the, you're, you're, you're trying to say something. You're trying to say something to a group of thousands of people, right? And the people that you want to hear it usually walk away and don't hear it. They're like, yeah, that's why I whipped you tonight. Why I slapped you down. I'm your husband. Just trying to love you a little. You're like, oh, that, that ain't what I'm talking about at all. That's not what I'm talking about. So hopefully... You know, because this gets broadcast to a bunch of people that don't know us, I feel at times that you have to explain things to people that our people would know. So I, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about being a doormat. I'm not talking about laying down, letting someone beat you up. I'm simply saying that someone can see deep enough into you that they can talk about the core issues of your life, which is painful. Which is painful. How many of you have ever, how many of you have ever in this been wounded at least once in your life? It's awesome. We've been around good friends. How many of you have only been wounded once? You wouldn't want to raise your hand for this. Because there might be a reason why you've never been wounded more than once. You, you might have made that... You might have made that declaration, no one will ever wound me again. And that's just not a good plan. So pain is a part of life. How many of you know that, the, the, that what's worse than pain is no feeling at all? When somebody loses feeling in their limbs, do you understand that that's, there's a greater urgency there? You know, when a, when a football player goes down on the field, the first thing they, and, and he can't move, what's the first thing they do? They check his toes to see if there's any feeling in them. They poke his toes to see, can you feel that? If he can't feel that, they're alarmed. If he goes, ow, they go, oh good, you can feel pain. Think through this. You can feel pain. You're okay. You're, we know that your, your spinal cord is not severed from your brain. See, if you can't feel pain emotionally, something's severed. Something's not right. That's not a happy meal. It's called being a numb skull. That just came to me right there. I don't know if that was the Lord... Okay, now let's get to the part I want to talk about. Verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I've loved you. Greater love... <laughs> that's interesting. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I loved you. It's interesting because the context is he loved them by correcting them. That's the context here. Say love. Okay. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's good. You're my friends if you do what I command you. Turn to your, turn to your neighbor and say, you're God's friend if you do what he tells you to do. Yeah. 
Verse 15. No longer do I call you slaves. No longer do I call you slaves because a slave does not know. Say this. A slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things. Everybody say all things. I've heard from the Father. I've made known to you. Okay, I've shared this before, but this is, I think this is really powerful. And it's growing. This, this is a growing revelation in my own heart. He says, listen, I don't call you slaves anymore because a slave is, doesn't know what his master is doing. In other words, he equates slavery with withholding information. And he goes, I don't call you a slave because, because a slave does not know. The reason you were a slave is because I withheld information from you. And you understand that the highest level... Uh, uh, the, the highest core value in slavery is obedience. In other words, what we learn as slaves, and by the way, when you come to Christ, we all come as slaves. And the first thing we learn is that Jesus is both Savior and Lord. Lord, right? And we emphasize He's the Savior, and now He needs to be Lord. In other words, the first thing we learn, we used to be slaves to sin, and Romans 6 says, now we're slaves to righteousness, so we come to Christ as a slave. And we learn how to do what we're told. In fact, Romans 8 says that if you know, anyone who's not led by the Spirit, in other words, anyone who doesn't do what the Spirit tells them, is not a son. Which is a, kind of a different way to say Hebrews 12. Anyone who, doesn't, anyone who doesn't receive discipline is not a son. And so Romans says anyone who's not led by the Spirit, anyone who doesn't do what the Spirit tells them, is not a son. So the first thing we learn and when we come to Christ is that God is both Savior and Lord. But how many of you know that He doesn't want to just be Savior and Lord? He wants to be the bridegroom. He's looking for us to, he's looking for us to move from slavery to friendship into matrimony. And He's not wanting to marry a slave girl. I was coming, uh, I was going, uh, no, actually, I was, uh, where was I? I, I know I was either coming or going from Africa, but I can't remember which it was. And I was sitting next to an African businessman, a very wealthy African businessman. And uh, I said, uh, so he, I said, oh, so you're flying to America? And he said, yes, I am. And, and I said, he's from South Africa. And I said, oh, that, I said, so how long are you going to be gone from your family? You got a family? Yeah, we do. And I said, yeah, I got a family. We were kind of exchanging stories. I, and so I said, how long are you going to be gone? He says, oh, I'm going to be gone six months. I said, Wow, that must be really hard on your family. I said, what's your wife think about that? She's, he said, I don't know. I didn't ask her. I told her what I was doing. And I said, oh. He kind of looked at me. I said, that wouldn't work in America. I said, our women actually think. He kind of looked over at me and kind of chuckled. I said, yeah, my wife, she kind of actually thinks that she should have some uh, say in what I do. He goes, we don't operate like that in Africa. <laughs> Whatever. And I'm not saying it was like this all in Africa. I was just telling you about the kind of inter interchange I was having with this man. And I'm like, that's not the kind of woman I want to be married to. I actually want to be married to a Proverbs 31 woman who can like, consider a field and buy it and doesn't need to be told what to do. I'm not, I'm not looking for a slave. I'm not looking for one person thinks and, the, and for both people. I'm not... If you want to marry someone like that, that's fine. You can do that. But um, I, I'm, looking to, I, I'm looking to be married to someone that can, actually loves me because she thought through it. I think my wife's a pretty bright lady. I mean, she chose me. Yep, she asked me to marry her. Told her I had to think about it. 
Uh, that part's not true. So God's looking to be married to, uh, not to a slave girl. He's, he's looking to be married to a bride. And he says, listen, I don't call you slaves because a slave doesn't know what his master's doing, but I call you friends for all things I've heard from the Father made known to you. And, and here's, uh, here's a really strong point that I, that I think is, I, I think it's a, core, it's a core issue in the body of Christ. There's a lot of people who come to Bethel, they, come, they go to you know, different places around the earth, and because they hear revelation, they're like, they leave there and like, oh my goodness, you know, the Bible opened up to me, the kingdom opened up to me, and, 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 they, and the first question that, um, like Bill, I've heard Bill get asked this lots of times, we're in leaders' advances or, or we're in question and answer sessions, they're like, where do you get all that revelation? And they're expecting the answer to be, well, I study this many hours a day and I read these commentaries and they don't, they don't hear that from him. And they're like, and I, I, I'd like to propose to you that, that revelation is not the product of laborious study, but it is the fruit of friendship with God. When you're a friend with God, all things that He's heard from the Father, He's made known to us. And that revelation is actually the fruit of a changed relationship with God. And we move from slavery to friendship. We actually get stuff that no one else knows because God tells us His secrets. But as long as, listen, as long as a lot of people want to move into friendship, but they still haven't got to the place where they can do what God tells them to do. Do you understand, until you can do what God tells you to do, He's not going to let you be a friend where He tells you His secrets. There is a place beyond obedience. There is a place beyond obedience. You know, if I tell my son, cut the lawn, you know, he's 15, I say, cut the lawn and and take out the garbage, and he cuts the lawn and takes out the garbage, well, first of all, that would be a miracle. (laughs) Don't ever remember that happening. But if I t- <laughs> they used to intentionally break the lawn more, and it was a it was yeah it was a self-propelled gas lawnmower, and they would break the string off so they wouldn't have to mow a lawn that was about the size of that black thing right there. But the lawnmower broke again. I'm like, hmm, there is hope for you. Your mother thinks you're a genius. So if if I tell my son. Cut the lawn and take out the garbage. And he cuts the lawn and takes out the garbage. That's good. He's obedient. But what would happen if I come home one day and I didn't tell him to do anything and he cuts the lawn, takes out the garbage and washes the car? (laughs) I mean, would I go, hey, do what you're told, boy. I never told you to do that. No. First of all, I'd fall down and say, how much money do you need? Let me guess, you found a girlfriend, you want to go out, what's, what's wrong? No, sincerely, do you understand that there's a place beyond obedience? What happens when I capture the heart of God is I no longer need to be told what to do because I have His heart and I do it because I love Him, not because I'm a slave. What happens when I move from slavery to friendship is God can trust me because the intentions of my heart, I'm after God's heart. And so now I can move into the next level. I'm not doing what I'm told. I'm doing beyond what I'm told because I've caught the vision. I've captured his heart and I'm moved by and I'm motivated by love and compassion. 
I mean, some of us think like, you know, I'm being led by the Spirit is the highest level of life. Listen, if we're not led by the Spirit, we're not sons of God. But that's not the highest level of life. He gave us a new mind and a new heart, and He's waiting for us to actually use it. And as we do, we get to move into a new relationship with God. And um, Exodus 32 is a great... Why don't you turn there? We've made mention of it several times, but never really... um, We haven't read it for a while. Exodus 32. See where it starts here. Sorry. Verse uh, 8. Verse 7, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Go down at once, for your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They've quickly turned aside from the way which I have commanded them. They have made for themselves molten calves and have worshipped it. And they sacrificed to it, and they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, Let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, and I will make you a great nation. And Moses entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt? (laughs) This sounds like an argument over with Kathy and I when our kids do something wrong. Your son. I'm like, oh, sorry. I remember the labor pains. Your son. Your daughter. Um, but uh, you have brought out the land of Egypt with great power, with mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent, he brought us out here to kill us in the mountains, to destroy us from the face of the earth. Turn your, your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants, whom you swore by yourself and said, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, and all the land which I have spoken I will give to you, your descendants, and they will inherit it forever. So, uh, verse... 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he would do to his people. That's a pretty awesome verse, isn't it? The Lord says, hey, Moses, I want you to go down there because your people whom you let out of Egypt, they're obstinate, stiff-necked people, and I'm going to kill them and I'll make you a great nation. And Moses is like, ha, sorry. Remember the bush? (laughs) I was walking along. I saw a bush. Bush started talking to me. Said, I've seen the oppression of my people. And I want you to go. And I said, I can't speak. Who am I? And you said, you're going. I don't care what you say. Take Aaron if you need to. Remember, this was not my idea. This was your idea. I was minding my own business. This was your idea. And now that the people are screwed up, you want to blame me for it. This is your idea. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And, you know, do you think the Lord's just like, Oh, Moses, thank you so much. I'm getting so old, I forgot about those promises that I made. Those, man, I almost killed people and broke my promise. Whew, that's why I born you, boy. See, I think that sometimes when God prophesies to us, He's testing our heart rather than determining our destiny. 
In the 33rd chapter, the next chapter in Exodus, God comes back, and we don't have to read it right now, but God comes back to Moses and He goes, Hey, Moses, it checked out what I said. You're right. I did say that I would give these people a promised land, but I never said I would go. And here's what's going to happen. You know what? If I go, He said, I'll probably kill the people along the way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send an angel to take you into the promised land. And Moses says, listen, God, you know what? Let me just talk this out with you. First of all, it is your presence that makes us different from all the other people. So I'd rather have you in the wilderness than an angel in the promised land. So let me make it really clear. If you're not going, we're not going. God goes, okay, I'm going. See, that's a man, Moses is called the friend of God. That's a man who's, who has learned to obey, so he has the ability to influence God. Is that awesome? God, Jesus, um, I think I wrote this one down. Jesus tells, uh, sorry. patience, please. In, uh, yeah, in Luke twenty two thirty six. Jesus said, whoever has a money belt, you can take it along. And if you have a coat, sell it and get swords. And so they go, hey, we found two swords. Verse 38, they say, look, we found two swords. And Jesus said, that'll be enough. And then in, in Luke 22, just a few verses later, they, Jesus gets arrested. And Peter takes a sword and cuts the guy's ear off. Now, you know that Peter's a fisherman, so you know he wasn't aiming for the guy's ear. He ain't that surgical. You know he's aiming for the guy's head. And Jesus goes, and he cuts the guy's ear off, and Jesus goes, Peter, what are you doing? He says, excuse me, sorry, sorry about that. Peter, what are you doing? <laughs> Don't you think it would have been cool if he would have lobbed his head off? He's like, Sorry. Sorry. Peter, what the heck? This will take a minute. Everything working okay? Peter, what are you doing? You said get swords. I never said use them. Did I say use the sword? Oh, I said get the sword. It's interesting because Luke's gospel records that several of the guys said, should we use the sword? But evidently Peter wasn't in on that discussion. <laughs> because whoever had, the, whoever had the first sword said, you know, there's only two swords and there's 12 guys. So someone said, should we use the sword? That wasn't Peter. Peter wasn't in on that discussion. He was like, well, of course we should use the sword. Why did he tell us to get it if he didn't want us to use it? Cuts the guy's ear off. How many know that God creates opportunities He doesn't want you to take? God creates opportunities He doesn't want you to take. He makes wine for people who are already drunk. I know. Listen, the translators couldn't figure this one out. So if you look in your Bible, American Standard says, when people were fully drunken. No, when people have fully drunken. What the heck does fully drunken mean? Other version says, when they fully drank. The word there is the word drunk in the Greek. But the translator didn't want to say, Jesus made wine and people got drunk. 
So there's like, when they drank a lot of wine, no, no, the, cu- the, 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 the waiter said, most people save, most people give the good wine first, and then when people are drunk, of course they don't care, so they share this, the cheap wine second. That's what they did. And he goes, but this is the better wine than the first wine that people got drunk off of. The translator didn't, couldn't, couldn't bring themselves to say that. So they figured out some way to like smooth it up. But that is what it says in the original language. Why does Jesus make wine for people who are already drunk? Because the only way you can get a reward is to have the opportunity to do something wrong and choose not to. That's why God put two trees in the garden. See, religion chops down the second tree and thinks that we're helping people. It's very difficult to be ready for the jungle when you train in the zoo. We have an idea. See, religion takes away people's choices and calls that righteousness. I don't know how many messages, not, not for many of our team, how many messages that I've heard on holiness and it's a new list of rules. It's all the, the don't do these things and you'll be holy. Holy is not things that you don't do. Holiness is the manifest presence of God working in and through you. Holiness, when Jesus said, be holy as my Father's holy, listen, it's not a commandment, it's a promise. You can't be holy. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm now going to be holy. What you're saying is you're not going to do anything wrong. See, holiness isn't, a, isn't a, a list of things you don't do. I don't go to movies. Uh, careful. You know, I was thinking of a list, but I can't even think of one. It's been so long. <laughs> Whatever. So, hmm. I'm not sure how this all works, but is, why is it it's the church that thinks that we should have more rules for people? The church has more rules than God does. We started this organization called Moral Revolution, which is a, uh, obviously about sexual purity, which is pretty cool. But it's interesting. People that, people that join us, they're like, oh, well, we need to, like, they're, they're like they want to make sure. That they think the goal of Moral Revolution is to get the rules to the school. Like, here's more. Let's, and listen, I don't want to be a Renacop guarding the Ark of the Covenant that God left 2,000 years ago. And sometimes the church thinks that just because we have a bigger box, that we don't have a box. We're not trying to control people from the outside. We're trying to allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse them from the inside. As soon as we start moving to control people from the outside, it becomes the Pharisees. Jesus said, you're clean outside of the cup, but inside's not good. Dead man's tombs. Whitewash walls. Those are, that's what religion does. It's like, keep the rules. Cut down the second tree. Take away choices. And God says, no, no, no. People need choices so they can get a reward. See, in order for... Why is the devil alive? Well, there's lots of reasons, but one of the reasons is, is God wants you to love Him. And that means that in order to love Him, you, in order to choose Him, you have to have another choice. So he leaves the devil alive so you have another choice. I understand it's not a very good one, but think of how many people choose him. 
I mean, he is ugly. It's so funny. It isn't funny, really. Okay. Okay. Genesis uh, 41. Are you guys all right? Are you bored? Or? Genesis 41 is the story of Joseph. And he meets Pharaoh. And Pharaoh has a dream. Do you know the story? Pharaoh was... I'm sorry. Joseph was in prison. He interprets the cupbearer and the baker's dream... He gets it right, the baker hangs, the cupbearer gets restored, and Joseph says, remember we, when you come into your kingdom, of course the cupbearer totally forgets. Two years later, the pharaoh has a, has a dream, he brings in all the magicians and, and the conjurers, I said conjurers the other day, and Danny laughed, when the, he was on the front row when I was, in, when I was preaching in the... In the uh, Piercing the Darkness Conference, Danny's in the front row, and I said, Codgers. And he laughed. And I thought, well, he must have not heard me, so I said it again. And then when I got done, comes up and he goes, Codgers or old grouchy men. I said, well, if I was a conjurer, I would be an old grouchy man. So they bring in all those guys, and they can't interpret the dream. And you know the story. The cupbearer remembers it. Oh, hey, there's this guy who interprets dreams. He's in prison. He interpreted my dream and the baker's dream, and he got it right. And He could probably interpret your dream. So Joseph, so he brings Joseph in and he tells Joseph the dream, which is a dream about fat calves, seven fat calves and seven skinny calves and the fat calves eat the skinny calves. You remember all this? And Joseph interprets the dream. And Joseph says, listen, the fat calves, the seven fat calves are seven good years and the seven skinny calves are seven years of famine. And um, and there's 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 coming a famine that's so bad that there will be no food in the land and everyone's going to starve. So if I were you, I'd pick someone really wise to tell you what to do about that. And the king goes, well, you seem to be wise. What do you think we should do about that? He goes, well, if I were you, what I would do is I'd put away one-fifth of all the food in the seven good years so that in the seven bad years, the people will have food and no one will die. And the pharaoh goes, that's a great idea. You're in charge of the world. (laughs) But here's what I didn't realize. Turn to the 47th chapter of Exodus and of verse 15 this is towards the end of the famine I think they're like five five years into the famine and this is what happened verse 15 when the money when all when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan and all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said give us food for why should we die in your presence for our money is gone then Joseph said, give, me, give up your livestock and I'll give you food for your livestock since your money is gone. And they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them money in exchange for their horses and flocks and herds and donkeys. And he fed them with food in exchange for their livestock for that year. Then uh, when, the, when that year had ended, they came to him the next year and they said, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent and our cattle are my Lord's. There's nothing left for my Lord except for our bodies in our land, why should we die before your eyes, before uh, we in our before we in our land? I'm sorry. Why should we die before your eyes? Both. Oh, that's what I got that wrong. Both we in our land, buy us and our land for food, and we our land will become slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die and not be desolate. Verse. Um, anyway. 
That's not a good time to laugh when someone's trying to find a verse. Well, I'll just tell you what happened. They sell all their land. Oh, I see. Um, verse 25. So they said, You've saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. And here's what happened. Egypt, in 14 years, goes from one of the wealthiest first world nations to a third world nation in 14 years. And Joseph enslaves all of the Egyptians. So that there's a, they go from a, a three-class system, you know, they got the, the poor, the middle class, and the rich. They go from a three-class system to a two-class system in 14 years. There's only, there's only slaves and Pharaoh. You got Joseph, his 70, uh, 70 members of his family, and, jo- and Pharaoh's family that's ri- that are rich. Everyone else is dirt poor, and they move them into enslaved cities, and they enslave all the Egyptians. Everybody in Egypt is a slave. And you know how he did it? He withheld information from him. This is the best part. See, Jesus said, John 15, I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what his master is doing. In other words, if you reverse that, listen, if I withhold information, you become a slave. What happened? Joseph told Pharaoh about the famine, but he didn't tell anyone else. And when they didn't know that there was going to be a famine... Their lack of information enslaved them. And in one generation, all of those people in that land became slaves. Why? Because they lacked revelation. They didn't know there was going to be a famine. Only Pharaoh did. All Joseph had to do is tell the rest of all the Egyptians. All he had to do is, is create this plan. Listen, there's going to be a famine. Seven good years, seven bad years. Tell all the people to store food. But he didn't do that. He only told Pharaoh. And when he only told Pharaoh, he created a two-class system. I'm sorry, he, he created a two, two-class social system, and he enslaved them, and they became a third-world country in one generation. I have this feeling that if we reverse that, third-world countries can become first-world countries, because I wonder if they just lack revelation. We're trying to give them money, but you don't give slaves money. You give them revelation so they know all things they've heard from the Father and made known to you. And here's what happened in the next generation. You probably know this, but Exodus chapter 1 opens with this statement. And there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, and he enslaved the people. So Joseph, an Israelite, enslaved the Egyptians. But what happened in the next generation? The Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. So what I'm getting at is this. What would happen if, if God began to pour out revelation In fact, let me give you an example. Africa is the richest continent, as a continent. Africa is the richest continent in natural resources in the world. But as a continent, they're the poorest continent on the planet. In other words, their poverty is not due to lack of resources. (laughs) You need to just think through that. And we think we're helping them because we keep giving them resources. Send money, send money, send money. And I'm like, I'm not sure it's money they need. They need to move from slavery, from a slave's mentality to friendship so that their, their minds are open to innovation, invention, revelation, and transformation. I think that slavery is predicated on the fact that people no longer think. 
I was in Romania 14 years after communist, communism fell. They had, been in, they had been communists for I don't know how long. 50 years, 100 years. Someone knows history better. But I know this, that, that Romania has been under dictatorships for more than 500 years. So communism was just another form of dictatorship for them. So I'm, 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 we're in a taxi. We're taking a taxi to this place. And uh, there's a young man. He's probably maybe 28, 29 years old. And he, he speaks um, you know, really broken English. And so I say to him, um, how do you like freedom? How do you like democracy? And in, in his broken English, he says, oh, I don't like it at all. I said, you don't like freedom? He said, no, when we were communists, he said, I, 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 didn't, I didn't have to work. I knew what I, would, what I would have every day. We all had equal. But now that, we're, now that we have democracy, he said, I, 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 he said I, I have a lot of anxiety. I'm under a lot of stress because I have to produce to make a living. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. And when we went from church to church in Romania, that same mentality, that slave, like, there's no one taking care of us. What do we do? And what I'm getting at is this, is that, it, um, is that countries that are ruled by dictators, I want to be careful. I'm not really trying to make a political statement as much as I'm trying to say that so much of the church have leaders that are dictators they tell people what to do. They give them rules. And holiness gets redefined as things you don't do. Some, one person thinks for you. It's a genius with a thousand helpers. Everyone in the, in the congregation is a slave. They're an echo, not a voice. They're not shining. They're reflecting. They're repeating things someone taught them they don't even understand. And the success of the church is measured by how few messes they have. Listen, the, the most organized place in the world is the graveyard. And so I think we're trying to break out of that slave mentality. We're trying to break out of that. Yet the creates it. Listen, when you, when you have to think for yourself, it's like when you move out for the first time. You remember, you know, can most of you remember when you moved out of the house for the first time? I remember, you know, just thinking about like, wow, I didn't know my parents did all this stuff. You know, I go, we went and got this apartment and we got this apartment in the ghetto because my friend and I, my best friend and I, we, we rented an apartment in the ghetto because it's the only thing we could afford. And uh, it's very interesting because like, okay, we got an apartment, we rented an apartment. Now what else do we have to do? It's like, well, the lights aren't on. That's probably, wonder how you get those turned on. You know, so we go, I mean, we don't know. We, we're 17. We go ask the landlord, like, how do you, can, when, can you turn our lights on? He's like, no, no, you go to the utility company for that. Oh, you have a phone number? Like, how do we do that? So we go to the utility company, they're like, oh, you guys are brand new renters. You've never rented before. Awesome. Welcome to the neighborhood. Hey, you need a $300 deposit. Oh, $300 deposit. Where are we going to get that? We're going to have to rob a bank or something, you know? So, yeah. I get the, you know, we get the, finally get the electricity turned on, and we're like, ha, oh, I wonder how you get the water turned on. You know, nice to have water showers and stuff. And, oh, we got to go to another, you know, the water district to get the water turned on. We're like, oh, that's going to be another five hundred dollars, probably. You know, maybe we can like, maybe we can hawk our brother, you know, give him our little brother, like maybe you could keep him for a couple months or whatever. 
you don't, you don't, you know, it's, it's stressful. You don't like really realize like, wow, this is what it takes to be out. I remember kind of a funny story has nothing to do with what I'm sharing, but I woke up one morning to go to work and we're upstairs and I'm like, man, tons of stories coming to my mind now. We're living upstairs in this, in the middle of this ghetto. And I, I, I go downstairs and I look and my, my car's gone. Someone stole my car. I mean, I've been there like a month. Someone stole my car. I'm like, oh crap, I better call the cops. And I did figure out how to get the phone turned on too, by the way. So I run upstairs to call the cops and I, we're, I'm, I'm looking out the window as I'm, I'm ringing the uh, police department and I see my car. It's rolling down the street with five kids pushing it and one kid staring at it. It's not running. It's like, like 12-year-olds. So I put the phone down and I go running down the street and they're like, they take off, they leave the car, the kid jumps out, my car's rolling down the street. I'm like, dude, whatever. In the ghetto. And a mother cries. Whatever, you know, you got to start somewhere. So, yeah, I got my car back that time. About two months later, I ended up standing on top of it because another lady sicked her German shepherd on me. She thought that was funny. Then I saved the guy's life because I came home one night and the lady that lived right next door to us upstairs had a, two boyfriends, well, ex-husband and a boyfriend, and they showed up at her house at the same time. So the boyfriend had the ex-husband hanging over the second story. Yeah, he had, yeah. and I walked upstairs and he's, he's got him, he's going to let him go. He's all bloody. His face is all bloody. The guy, other guy's all bloody. And he's going to let, there are two motorcycle guys. And he's going to, he's going to let him go, drop him on the pavement. And I'm, you know, shoot, I'm 17. I'm like, so I walk upstairs and I'm like, uh, I wouldn't let him go if I were you. Shut the F up. I'm like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry for being alive. Sorry for trying to help. If you drop that guy on the pavement, his head's going to crack like an egg, and, and I, I'm going to be a witness. It's not going to be, yeah, I wouldn't do that. doesn't look like he's going to make it. I don't think he'll catch himself with his hands. I wouldn't drop him if I were you. Like he's, so I talked the guy down. That's kind of nice. Yeah. Saved a man's life. Yeah, about a, about a month later... There's a big old fight downstairs, and this guy's beating up his wife. So I tell my friend, my, my roommate, I said, You call the cops, I'll go down there and see if I can look through the window and see what's happening. So I look, go down there, and, and this, this, this lady's just screaming bloody murder, and the kids are out front crying. They have four little kids, they're out front crying, and this whole thing's going on. So anyway, we call the cops, and the cops, they try to get in, they won't, the door's locked, they break in the door, and it turns out there's this little guy, he can't be five foot tall, and there's this. Woman, she looks like a sumo wrestler. When they break the door down, she throws him out on the front lawn and jumps on top of him, and she's wailing on him, and two cops have to pull her off of him. It's actually he, her who beaten him up. That's the neighborhood I grew up in. That's how I got trained for marriage. The Lord put me over in the wilderness to get me ready for marriage. Okay, we're almost done. Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of 
knowledge. Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Daniel 12.3, I love this one, I just found this verse. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of the heaven. And those, and they shall lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Let me read it again. And those, verse 3, chapter 12. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness, no, shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of the heaven. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And then I thought, this makes really good sense because Isaiah 60, it says, Arise and shine. Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, deep darkness covers the earth, deep darkness of people. But the Lord will rise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. Nations will come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Those who have insight will shine like the brightness of the stars. Those who have insight. Did you get that? Those who have insight will shine like the brightness of the stars. And they will lead many to righteousness. Arise and shine, for your light has come. What is the light that causes nations to come to you? Insight. Revelation. I just have this sense that we are going to change nations. And we're going to do it through revelation. Just like Joseph did. But, but even more than Joseph, how many know that if you don't understand the ecosystem in which you're dealing with, today's solutions become tomorrow's problems and today's palaces become tomorrow's prisons? And so the goal, when Joseph interpreted the dream and then told Pharaoh what to do about it, in my opinion, he made a mistake. And he ended up enslaving a whole nation. But what would happen if we had insight and wisdom? If we had insight and wisdom, the sons of Issachar understood the times, they understood epic season, and they knew what to do in the times. In my opinion, Joseph made a serious mistake in enslaving the nation. He made one man rich and everyone else poor. Think about what would have happened if he simply would have told all the Egyptians. Remember, the famine was worldwide. They wouldn't have just been a first world nation. They would have been the richest first world nation on the planet. Because they would have been the only people in the world who had food. And people from everywhere would have bought from the Egyptians. And the poorest among them would have been wealthy. What would happen? Let's see. Those who have insight will shine like the brightness of the stars. I think it's time for us to move out of slavery and into friendship. And as we do, we can disciple nations. I think that our relationship, as if we can grow out of this immature place of slavery and grow into friendship, I think that we can actually lead nations to Christ. And we can do what it says, In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Everybody say, all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Hebrews 8 says this. In the last days, they will not say, know the Lord. They will not say, know the Lord. Neither will they have to teach their brother to know the Lord. For they shall all know the Lord in that day. They shall all know the Lord in that day. What if that's not the millennium? You go, that's the millennium. What if it isn't? It doesn't say it is. What if, it's, it, what if, it's, what if that's supposed to happen in our day? What if that's supposed to happen in our day? And in our day, we begin to make friends with God and God tells us His secrets and we have influence with Him and all things we've heard from the Father He's made known to us and He says, ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And I go, hey, I'd like to have that nation. I'd like to have the nation of Haiti. How's that? You're gonna get, I will give you the nations as your inheritance. And instead of asking for cars and, 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 for, and for you know, nice stuff, and, that's all good, that's all good. But how would you like to be the owner of a nation? I mean, you could drive a Cadillac. I'll own Haiti. 
You know, you know, I'm not saying no. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying, would you rather have a nice house or would you rather have Africa? Would you rather have, would you rather have a Rolls Royce or would you rather have America? God said, I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as an inheritance. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the stars. They'll lead many to righteousness. I think we're just one thought away from a, from a, a, revo- a revolution. I mean, it. I have a sense that we're just, we're just one thought away from a revolution. We're just one thought away from curing cancer. We're just one thought away from curing multiple sclerosis. We're just one thought away from curing diseases. We're one thought away from curing the health care program. You know, well, it's not that simple. Well, maybe it isn't, but what if it is? But to have those kind of thoughts, we need to change relationships with God. And to have change relationships with God, we've got to get past just doing what we're told. We've got to move into think. I said in Toronto last two weeks ago, I said, I think we're moving from drink to think. And someone shouted, you think really good when you drink. I said, well, then let's do both. Let's think while we drink. I mean, what, do you, what kind of thoughts do you have when you're intoxicated? I don't know. I've never been intoxicated in my life. Never had money for alcohol. Just tried to pay the rent. Keep people from stealing my car. By the way, I couldn't even afford that, that apartment I, live in, I lived in in those days. I went back there and I'm like, oh my goodness, like $1,400 a month for the rent there. So I could say that I lived in the upper scale housing when I was young. Except for it wasn't upper scale then. So why don't you stand up and let's think of something to do. Why everybody, why just everybody turn that way? Turn that way. Very good slaves. <laughs> Very obedient. Put your hand on the head of the person in front of you. Okay, I want you to do this. I want you just to release wisdom over them. Wisdom. Just release wisdom over them. Wisdom. Some of you broke the train. I don't know what the person in front of you is going to get. Just release. Just pray. Wisdom, insight, knowledge, understanding, the spirit of Daniel. Let it be on those folks right there in Jesus' name. Come on. Just give it to them. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Just let, let, let the wisdom from another age be on them. Let the gift of wisdom, the mind of Christ... Seated in heavenly places, all those things. Just let it be on these people right here. In Jesus' name. Okay, turn around and face the other way and put your hand on their head. Now, give them better than they did you. 
Jesus' name. Come on, just release wisdom on them. Woo, man. Wow. There's a real anointing in the room, actually. I'm not kidding. I'm really not joking. This is good right here. Holy Spirit, Lord, we just release. Release wisdom. Release understanding. Release knowledge. Woo, baby. Release. Yeah. Some of you are getting pruned. <laughs> I like that, too. Glad it's you. Just kidding. Holy Spirit, just release that on us right here. Let us move from slavery, out of slavery, out of slavery, out of communism, out of slavery, out of a welfare mentality, out of the wilderness, out of just enough into more than enough. Come on, let's pray that right now. Out of that slave mentality. I'm not, not just a sheep where I'm just following the person in front of me. I can think. I can shine brightly like the stars. I have insight. I'll lead many to righteousness. I was called to disciple nations. Come on. Come on. Just remind the people in front of you. You were called to disciple nations. You were called to rock the world. You're a child of the King. You're joint heirs with God in Christ Jesus. You're seated on the throne with Christ Jesus. Come on. More than enough. More than you ask or think. He's given you a new mind. He's given you a new heart. You were born to change the world. You were born for greatness. You were born to be exalted. You humbled yourself so you could be. Lord, we just release that over every person right now. In Jesus' name. Okay, now put your hand on your own head. And just, just, just start to pray for yourself. Lord, just let my brain just marinate in the presence of God. Let me think the thoughts of God. Oh, let's do this for a minute. How many of you have a problem in your life? You have a problem in your life. How many of you have a problem in your life? Raise your hand. No, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. No joking. You have a problem in your life that needs to be solved. That, that, you, that you, need, you need solved. Come on, raise your hand. Okay, now put your hand on your head. You're just going to practice on you. Okay, before you lead a nation, you probably should lead you. I just, that was the thought I had. So I want you to pray. Just pray this. Say, Holy Spirit, give me the answer to my problem. Okay, now I want you to think for a minute. Remember he said, you can ask whatever you wish. Let's just do an experiment tonight. Like, even if you're in slavery, say, Lord, give me a taste. Say this, Lord, give me a taste of what it's like to be a friend. And I can get whatever I want from you. And this is what I'd want right now. If you gave me any wish. Because you said I can ask whatever I wish. So I wish for... Okay, now what do you wish for? One wish. You got one wish. Huh, I don't know. Maybe you got more, but let's try one. Okay, just tell the Lord what it is that you want. Maybe it's a wayward son, a wayward daughter. Maybe you're in a financial crisis, a relationship problem. Maybe it's a health problem. I, whatever it is, just say, Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay, give me this and then name it. Okay, name whatever it is. Ask whatever you wish, he said. It will be done for you by my Father. Ask whatever you wish. Ask whatever you wish. Okay, while you have your hands on your head, I want to pray pray a prayer for you. Some of us, and I would include myself in this actually, some of us don't have that relationship where we get whatever we ask from God. We're just not there. And I'm, I'm not saying, you know, necessarily there's anything wrong with us or whatever. 
But I want you to pray right now and ask the Holy Spirit, what is keeping you from that place where you have that kind of influence with God? I want you just to be brave, be bold, and ask the Holy Spirit, what, I'm sorry, you can pray this on your own, I'm just saying, Holy Spirit, what, what is it that's keeping me from having that kind of relationship where you trust me with my desires? You trust, you, tr- you trust that my desires are, are worthy of fulfilling. Just ask the Holy Spirit and see if He shows you anything. See if He shows you anything. Like, is there a, a, a broken relationship? Is there something He told you to do that, you, that you're not doing? Your, is there any kind of, you know, is there anything wrong? Is there a rebellion in, in you? Is there, is there anything wrong in us that, that would keep us from coming into that place where you can ask whatever you wish? Just ask the Holy Spirit right now and just be, I'm going to be quiet for a minute. Just let the Holy Spirit talk to you. I know we don't like silence very much. It makes us nervous, but it's good. How many of you in this silence, the Holy Spirit has shown you something that, that needs to grow in your life or get cleaned up? or there's, uh, you, you saw something that, that needs to happen in your life to move into the next dimension. Holy Spirit actually showed you. Raise your hand. I just, I just kind of want to see if the Holy Spirit's actually convicting you of something that you need to, to help move forward on. Yeah, most, most everyone in the room. That's good. So, Lord, we just pray for this stuff right here, these, these things in our lives. These, I don't know what you'd call them, these stumbling blocks, I guess, or... Places we need to grow or things that need to come out of our, be out of our lives. And Father, we just pray that you would help us get past those things. Some of these are lifetime issues, aren't they? Some of these are like, ah, I've tried it, failed, I've tried it, failed. I didn't even have to ask the Lord what it is. He's dealt with me so many times on this. I, I just know what it is, but I just, seem to, I just seem to have no strength to get past this. And Let this be the night that you pour out grace on these people, on each of us, that we can get past these stumbling blocks. Step past these sins, past these bad habits, past these attitudes, past these, these, this hurt, past this pain, whatever that is, Lord, that you would give us the grace right now to get past this thing in our life. That it would no longer keep us from, from, our, from a deep relationship with you that you've intended for us. In Jesus' name.